Good morning, church family. It's good to see you here this morning. John is still uh, on the road, I understand. We're grateful to have Jared and some of the family back. And I tell you, the last couple of weeks, uh, I've always appreciated John, but boy, I appreciate him even more. I am looking forward to his return, and certainly his return in the pulpit. Well, Jared, thank you for the reading this morning. Um, you probably recognize it's kind of an, it's the detail, it's the expansion of what we've already been talking about in Second Peter, when Peter is referring to um, what they saw on the holy mountain. And it is truly an amazing experience. I mean, think about everything that went on there. Jesus is, in, in all that he is transfigured, he is, he is shining like the veritable sun. And if you think about it on a, on a beautiful summer afternoon, you, you have an inability to look at that light. It is so pure. It is so penetrating. And that is what Peter saw on the mountain. He saw Elijah and, and Moses. And when you think about the significance of that, Moses representing the law, Elijah representing the prophets, and then Peter's reaction, always the guy of action, right? Lord, this is great. Let's build some tents. Let's, let's make this whole thing permanent. And then in the midst of him, his excitement and, and, and charging forward, the heavenly voice literally has to interrupt Peter. Peter, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Well, as amazing as this, this experience was for Peter, Peter, in his letter, is going to tell us there's something more sure than this experience. Even as true as this was, even as, uh, as encouraging as it was, even as confirming it was of the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think of John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, let's turn to our text for this morning in Second Peter chapter 2, beginning with Verse 16 says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have this prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you do well to pay attention 
as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Peter had a a supernatural experience, but even more sure, more complete, is the supernatural revelation that we have in the Word of God. And in verses 19 to 21, Peter starts with some principles. And I would just say that in regard to experience, experience cannot be our standard for truth. And again, as as good and as true and as helpful and encouraging as this experience was for Peter, it isn't our standard for truth. And Peter tells us it's not our standard for truth. It does not confirm scripture. We don't say we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed by our experience. We say just the opposite. We have more fully confirmed, or if you want to look at uh, the, the word order in the Greek, it even makes it more clear. We have more sure the prophetic word than our personal experience. Eyewitness testimony certainly validates our experience. It gave them insight. It gave them confidence. Again, he says, in the coming and power of the Lord Jesus Christ. But experience never confirms Scripture. It works the other way. Scripture confirms our experience. Through Scripture, we gain gain clarity and understanding of our experiences. The New Testament writers, Paul, in in Romans 15.8, puts it this way, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. So the New Testament, Paul says, the New Testament writers confirm the Old Testament scriptures. The scriptures have a superiority over our experience. Experiences can certainly enlighten our understanding of God, can't they? We walk with God and we learn to trust him. But they do that only as they are informed by scripture's declaration of the nature, character, and purpose of God. Look at verse 19. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Well, just a few observations. This prophetic word, what does that mean? 
Well, what he means is the entirety of the scriptures, the old and the new. He's not just referring to specific passages that are, that are uh, prophetic, directly prophetic. In fact, all scripture is prophetic revelation of God's salvation plan, either directly or indirectly. In John 5.39, Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they, and he's speaking of the Old Testament, that bear witness about me. And remember on the road to Emmaus, the disciples are dejected, downcast following the crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus comes upon them. They don't realize who he is. And he encourages them. And he says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And a little farther on, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He says in verse 19, it is as to a lamp. Our thoughts immediately probably go to Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. He says that lamp is shining in a dark place. And it reminds us, in this life, we walk in a dark place. He says we will do well to pay attention to it. Christian, do you, do you want to flourish in your relationship with Christ? We won't if we fall in a ditch. And that's what God's word is intended for. It is a light to our path in a very dark place. I couldn't help thinking about camping. We love to go camping. We haven't done it in a while. Um, and the fires probably have put it off for quite a while for our, our, our favorite spot up in Big Basin. But... Um, I remember so clearly those nights where we, we would get a spot that, that was particularly far out and, and in the middle of the night one of the girls would tug on my sleeve, Daddy, i got to go to the bathroom. And, and uh, out there, if you've ever experienced that, it has a wonderful canopy of trees and even on a clear night, you, you do not see anything. It is, it is absolute blackness. And I remember the little paved road that uh, once we got off the trail and started walking up towards the restrooms, that it's, uh, it's black pavement and there's deep ditches on either side. And, uh, and, and we made sure before we left home that uh, top on the list of our camping gear was flashlights and batteries. We knew we were walking in a dark place. We did not want to fall into the ditch. You know, and, and folks, we are in this, in this world, we're 
inundated by media, aren't we? We're inundated by entertainment, the culture. There are so many voices speaking to us. There are so many lights claiming to have truth in this world. And you have to ask yourself, what shines most prominently on my path? It's really a, a simple question. What is, what is the primary thing guiding your day? What is shining on your path? God intends that we live fruitful, effective, joy-filled lives for the Lord. Even in darkness, even in utter darkness, because he has given us a light to the path. And then in verse 19, he gives this truly sweet promise. He says, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Isn't it great to know that darkness is temporary? There is a dawn coming. We talked about it last week. As believers, we need to have paramount before us hearts yearning, anticipating the second coming of Christ. 1 John 3.2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when, we, when he appears, we shall be like him, because we, we shall see him as he is. Revelation 22.16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Well, verses 20 through 21, Peter says, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In these two verses, really what Peter is, is, is building is, a, is going to be a clear contrast between the truth of God's word and the inevitable rise of false prophets. Just to take a peek ahead in chapter 2, he says, after, after chapter 1, an incredibly encouraging chapter, he gives us a little dose of reality, saying, but false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Peter is, again, he's, he's encouraging, he is equipping the church, and he is equipping the church to know the scriptures. False teachers as it was, as he references, they came before, they're going to come again. They were throughout the Old Testament. Jeremiah chapter 23, thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. 
They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. Jeremiah 14. And the Lord said to me, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I do not send them, nor do I command them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. Peter wants us to know the difference. And we know the difference by knowing the truth. We'll get into it in chapter two, but it's, it's very interesting when you read through, um, you know, it's a third of Peter's letter that is devoted to false teaching, which says something when we know this is the, his last letter. He knows the Lord is going to be taking him home. This, this is essential information that he wants to leave the church. And a third of his letter is devoted to making us aware that false teachers have come and they will come. He wants us to be prepared. He wants us to know the difference. Well, looking, breaking down these last two verses, verse 20 and 21 of chapter 1, he says, knowing this first of all, so he's saying, know this. This is, this is basic. This is fundamental. This is foundational. This is essential. Know this first of all. No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No Scripture, Old or New Testament. Scripture does not come from an individual's personal understanding, uh, spiritual acumen, knowledge of the world around him, wisdom. Doesn't matter how high of a mountain you go up on, doesn't matter what position you sit in, it does not come from man. We are all, apart from God's word, literally stumbling in the dark. He says, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. It's interesting. That confirms really the meaning of verse 20. If you look at verse 20, he says, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture, it's an interesting way of just simply saying the word of God. So verse 21 really gives us the definition of it. He says, no prophecy of Scripture. It is not in man's capacity or knowledge or ability. And I love Job in his humility at the very end of the book, which is a long book, with a whole bunch of guys sitting around pondering the meaning of the universe and, and, and I can't think of the fancy word for it, but, you know, bloviating, I guess is the word, <laughs> on, on, on what they think it's all about. 
And, and, and the Lord, in, in his kindness and, and in his patience, he pulls Job aside and, and I, I think for two chapters lays out, I mean, do you understand how this works? Do you understand how that works? Do you understand how I created the cosmos? Of course, all these things are infinitely beyond our abilities. And in chapter 40, Job answers the Lord saying, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. And in chapter 42, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Here and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of my ear, but now my eye sees you. We see the Lord because he makes himself known. Is that incredibly gracious? God makes himself known to us. That we refuse him, we reject him, we live lives almost absent of the knowledge of him sometimes. And he has miraculously made himself known to, to us. He has done so in the scriptures. Scripture does not come by the will of man. It comes by direct revelation of God. Peter says again in verse 21, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This word carried along, you can find it in several different places, and it's usually associated with sailing. So you can, you can picture this, uh, this uh, image of, of the apostles putting up their apostolic sails and the Spirit of God filling those sails and moving them along. What does that process look like? I have no idea. I have no idea how the scriptures were actually produced, but I do know the declaration of the word of God. And it is, and it is the spirit of God that moved the writers of the Old and New Testament along. Peter says earlier in his first letter concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. So he's referring back to the Old Testament prophets and writers. Who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours or ours. Searched and inquired carefully. Inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating. When he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So that's really a phenomenal statement. What Peter is saying is that the writers themselves 
being inspired and moved along by the Spirit of God did not even fully understand what they were writing. They didn't understand the full implication of what they were writing. But they did understand that Scripture, Holy Scripture, was being produced. At the very end of this second letter of Peter, he says in chapter 3, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother, the apostle Paul, also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. I love how Peter is even challenged by Paul's writings which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So Peter is declaring, even in his own letter, the writings of the apostles are holy scripture. Scriptures were not written by man, they were authored by God. And if you wonder, what is our view on the scriptures at at Grace Bible Church? We, we have, uh, obviously in the name, Grace Bible Church. Bible is very important to the ministries here. It is, it is essential. It is central. And we call it a high view of the Word of God. We believe that the Bible is fully inspired Word of God, both the Old and New Testaments. It is without error in the original manuscripts, and written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and that it has supreme authority in all matters of faith and conduct. John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. We believe this. Romans 15, 4, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance, and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. 2 Timothy three sixteen to 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Why is this important? Peter is preparing his church. He is going to be with the Lord, and this is our resource. Two, Ill, two errors, I would say, uh, can be illustrative of this, and one I would I would say is the a low view of the word of God. And it fundamentally denies the authority of scripture. And, and probably really began picking up steam a couple hundred years ago. But since then, many liberal theologians who seem to have the task of deconstructing the faith have a view that this manuscript is it's not inspired. It's not inerrant. It's not infallible. In fact, it was written by human agents. Get real. 
It simply becomes a liturgical window dressing. Lofty but meaningless words without bite. I've had an experience with a friend that attends a, a very liberal church. And we were, we were talking one day, and, and, and it was about weighty matters. Very weighty matters. And he was shocked when I told him, you know, the word of God has authority over your life. What? The word of God has authority over your life. If you don't see it as God's word, it will have no authority in your life. It is merely wise recommendations at best. Well, he was a little troubled with this. He brought it back to his pastor and came back. And the pastor said to disregard what I was saying. He said I was a biblicist. And I think what he meant was I took it literally. Without a high view of scripture, there is no authority in your life. Your life experience, I hear this, your life experience will hold sway over the Bible. Well, the second error I would say is through the ages where it has been taught that the word of God is not understandable to you. It can only be understood by certain individuals of spiritual achievement or rank. Spiritual leaders will tell you what it means. It is for a select chosen few. But you have to ask, why would God tell us to pay attention to this lamp? If he never intended us to understand it. And indeed, the truth of it is, is that some can't understand it. The Bible says so. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. But the believer, each and every born again by the Spirit of God, believer, has been given God's Spirit. Again, Paul says in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. Believer, God has graciously given you his word. It is our lamp in a very dark place. It is God's declaration of the coming and power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is our lamp on a very dark path 
until the day dawns. I love Paul's final testimony before Felix at the end of Acts, before he is taken off to Rome. He says, But this I confess to you, that according to the way, which is Christianity, which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. Peter's declaration and his confidence is in the coming and power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And until he comes, this is our lamp. Would you join with me in prayer? Father, thank you for the gift of your word. We cannot express the gratitude that we have, that Father, in your condescension, you did not abandon us. But Father, you have given us your word that we might know you and we might walk through this dark world. Father, thank you for this gift. May we know it, may we learn it, May we cherish it, Father God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, I hope you're encouraged by this, and, and I hope these truths are reinforced to you as you go through your week. Cherish the word of God. And pray you would have a blessed day in Father's Day. Um, I don't have my my uh, blood father anymore, but I'm, I'm grateful for my father-in-law and uh, that he's here today. Bless you. Have a wonderful day in the Lord.